Well, it's the holiday season, holiday season, whoop-dee-doo, whoop-dee-doo. Anybody been singing that one? Before you say, it's Christmas. I know it's Christmas, but holiday literally means holy days, so it works. Uh, these are holy days, and they are filled with a lot of excitement, a lot of uh, anticipation. For a lot of people, maybe even a lot of joy. And let me uh, even point out, uh, my dog Charlie gets so excited for this time of year. I, I want to show a picture of how excited he gets. Um, filled he is pumped, he is amped. Yeah, whatever. He's like, get this thing off of me. It's usually, or, um, you know, today, hey, we got an exciting announcement. We got a brand new parking lot after six and a half months and how beautiful it is. And then someone reminded me this morning, yeah, but the elevator's broken and the, and the bathroom doesn't work downstairs and I just learned there's another sink that's broken down the hallway. Ah, oh, so goes life, right? So much for joy. <laughs> Or maybe you've seen the picture that I think just kind of is the essence of the season for a lot of people. It's the Christmas card picture of the kids, right? Joy. Where do you find joy in your life these days? I want to read these words from Isaiah. And we reflected on them just a few moments ago. And, And Isaiah speaks and prophesies of a desert that is transformed in kind of a strange picture for us as the the snowflakes are falling outside uh, to transform our minds to a desert. But I want you to hear these words this morning. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it. The splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord. The splendor of our God. Strengthen the feeble hands. Steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong. Do not fear. For your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool and the thirsty ground bubbling springs. And the haunts where jackals once lay grass and reeds and papyrus will grow and a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on that way. The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, nor any ravenous beast. They will not be found there. But only the redeemed will walk there. And those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. And sorrow and sighing will flee away. I want to go there. I want to be in that desert. How about it? To see it be transformed? How about you? You know, the question is, what desert is Isaiah referring to? I mean, what what Isaiah is talking about in here is a desert, but what desert? 
Is it just a figure of speech or is it a specific desert throughout the history of God's people? Well, it could be one desert. I think of the desert that, that God's people roamed around in for 40-some years after being enslaved for 430 years and God had finally set his people free from the, the bondage of slavery and, and here they are wandering across on their way to the, uh, that land flowing with milk and honey, the promised land. As they'd been waiting for that day, but guess what? They just started to grumble and complain and whine because why is it that we're not, we are better off in slavery? And it's just amazing how the human mind and heart is wired. So images of this back in Exodus where they could walk outside their tent and they could see God's presence in a, a pillar of, of fire at night and a pillar of cloud by day. I mean, there was no doubt that's God's presence with his people. And, and yet they still complained and whined and couldn't see anything right. It kind of strikes me as interesting because a lot of times what we will say is, well, if God would just show his presence, then I then I wouldn't have doubts or fears. <laughs> and yet there was this visual, ongoing reminder, and yet they still had doubts and fears. And as a result, as we, we play that out, they were on their way to the promised land that God promised, but because of their rebellion, God would say, you know what? Not this generation. You're not going to see it. And they would wander for the coming decades. Wander through, oh, desert. And they'd spend their time there. And yet in that desert, God would provide for them. He would provide water. He would provide for their every need. But if Isaiah is referring to that desert, it would seem it wasn't quite fulfilled there. There wasn't the miraculous healing that's described doesn't seem to show up there. There doesn't seem to necessarily be a place of ongoing joy. It seemed that they really, even in those days of wandering, they struggled. Struggled with their sin. They struggled with their doubts. And you have this back and forth of God's people rebelling and God's mercy and grace showing them that he is still faithful, even in the midst of their unfaithfulness. So maybe that's not quite the full desert that Isaiah is prophesying or reflecting on. Maybe it's a different desert. You fast forward in their history and it's, it's God's people who in their rebellion and their sin and their pride are taken off into captivity. And, and, and there it is, this full example of struggle, of losing their homeland, losing their home, being separated from their families, losing their political freedom and their religious freedom. And, and there they are in, in Babylonian captivity. And yet the day would come where they would be allowed to return to their homeland Though devastated, they were finally free. But the thing is, is they walked across the desert on their way home. It, it's not like things just started to grow on, the, on their footsteps. or It wasn't like water would show up in the barren wastelands. No, it, it was an exciting time, but it certainly don't see the fulfillment that Isaiah talks about when they walked across that desert in the return home. So what desert is Isaiah speaking of? Maybe it's a desert that Joe knows all too well. Uh, Joe is what you would call very successful. He uh, did fairly well in college. He really didn't struggle with his grades at all. He uh, came pretty easy for him. And, you know, he had a lot of fun along the way and, and you know, made a lot of friends and, and got a, an amazing career that he's, as I would say, it's up and to the right for him. He's doing extremely well, a very successful young man. 
And somewhere along the line, there was this, this mindset that he says, well, if I'm doing so well, but it's just so stressful and it's overwhelming, you know, I deserve to have an escape in my life. And so Joe has an escape. And it started as a once in a while kind of thing, but over the last several years, it's developed into a daily kind of thing for him. In fact, it's a rare day that that escape isn't part of his daily routine. And he tells himself, well, maybe this isn't the best, but, you know, after all, I work hard. I'm doing well. No one else has to know about it. It's my thing. And after all, it makes me feel good. But what Joe's realizing is what seems to be a real-life oasis is really only a mirage because what it brings for him is guilt and shame. Because Joe is realizing he's becoming more and more dependent on an addiction in his life. And what he's realizing is he's wandering through a desert and he doesn't really know what to do about it other than keep walking. It's a desert for Joe. I think of Julie. Julie is recently divorced. She's got two young children. Her ex-husband is pretty much avoiding responsibility. She's lost the house. She's trying to keep food on the table, and it's become this mess. It was this huge, huge, ugly, ugly divorce she's gone through. And and now she's faced with, now what do I do? And her family isn't really there for her, and and she's overwhelmed by, now what? And and then it happened. The the car broke down a couple weeks ago, and she had to spend what was going to be grocery money on getting the car fixed, because after all, how would she drop the kids off if she doesn't have a, a, a way of driving them, and and then, of course, it happens in the last snowfall, that leak developed in the living room, and she's just realizing, if that's been going on, how long until mold is going to grow, and it's got to be so expensive to fix that. Julie is overwhelmed financially, and she's going through a desert, and she's overwhelmed with how she's ever going to make it across. And there's Joanne. Joanne, by appearances, everything's going perfectly for her. I mean, she lives in a really fancy house. They've got multiple really nice, expensive cars. She's got jewelry. She's got clothing to match. She's got a, what would seem to be a very happy marriage and, and, and kids that are doing well in school are active in soccer and, and music, and, and they're on all the extracurriculars. I mean, things look really good for, for Joanne. She's doing well. But for her, she did not expect for her mom to get sick and, and pass away so suddenly. And it, 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 though it had happened two years prior, she's still just trying to get back to life as normal. And everyone would say, well, come on, get on with it already. I mean, you've got everything you could ever want. And yet, for Joanne, there's an emptiness there for her that she realizes that no new outfit can cure, that, that no new car or, 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 or no new house or any of the other stuff that seems so important to everyone. She's empty and she's going through a desert. Maybe those are the deserts that Isaiah speaks of. Maybe that's the kind of desert you're going through today. And you need words that might even lead you to understand right here today is a God who has not forgotten you. A God who knows that deserted wasteland in which you dwell today. 
might find comfort in this to know that Jesus speaks to that. And in fact, we find John the Baptist, he's in prison, he'd been speaking out against Herod and, and, and Herodias and the whole thing plays out and here's, here's John in, in prison. He doesn't know it yet, he's about to be beheaded, but he's having doubts, he's having fears, he's wondering, hey, is this, is this really what I signed up for? And he's having questions. I mean, if there's anybody who should know, I mean, his, his place as the forerunner of the Messiah, the Christ, I mean, he should clearly know who he is. And he was there to prepare the way. I mean, he was even preaching it and out in the, the wilderness. And, and if there's ever anybody who should have confidence that everything is going well, John even has doubts. And he sends a message to Jesus, are you the one or should we expect someone else? I mean, what, what is he really asking? He's like, is Jesus really the one that was promised? One of my favorite factoids, if you will, of when it comes to Scripture is, is, you know, that a lot of times people think you have to be, uh, check your intellect in at the door in order to be a believer in Jesus as Lord and Savior. And, and yet, you can look at Old Testament prophecies written over hundreds and hundreds of years, and the hundreds of prophecies and promises that God makes through his word, through multiple inspired writers, over 250 some messianic prophecies that would speak of who Jesus the Messiah would be and what he would do. And um, as many have, have questioned, like, well, wouldn't it just be easy for somebody to be born and maneuver their life and fulfill the prophecies and say, hey, I'm the Messiah. And, and the thing is, is it's not that easy. When it comes to some of the harder prophecies, like that he would be pierced in his hands and his feet. We've reflected on those words at different times in our ministry here. Uh, written well before the time when the Romans even invented the persecution known as crucifixion as a form of death. Yet it's foretold that Messiah would die in that way. Like, How do you explain that away? Or the fact that he'd be born in Bethlehem. How, how many of you chose the place where you were born and yet he was born in just such a place? Or... How do you explain away being born of a virgin? It'd be kind of hard to maneuver your life to be in the right place at the right time to be born miraculously of a virgin. Some years ago, um, a man by the name of Peter Stoner, and we've shared this before in our one class, one of our favorite things to share is that he's a professor of, uh, of, of a class where they were a statistics class, and they were trying to figure out the probability of someone in history fulfilling Old Testament prophecy and as the class went to work figuring out world population data as best as they could over history, and to take just seven prophecies, he said, just what would be the probability of one person in history fulfilling just seven? And it came out to a number, one chance out of 10 to the 17th power. In other words, one chance out of a, a number with 17 zeros behind it. If you tried to maneuver your life to fulfill just seven prophecies, you would have a better chance of winning the lottery something like eight times over or something like that, right? Um, I'm not suggesting then play the lottery. That's not what my point is. Is that the fact that Jesus doesn't fulfill prophecy by chance, but rather by fulfillment in the fulfillment of God's promises, God does what he says he will do. And so when John from prison in the place of a desert ultimately is calling out, are you the one? <laughs> or should we expect someone else? Notice how Jesus responds. Go back and report to John what you hear and see. 
The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Sound familiar? It should. (laughs) Because Isaiah foretold of a day in the midst of a desert where these things would happen. And Jesus is shouting it out and reminding John, I am who I say I am. I'm in that promised one. And report to him what you see. And guess what? Lame, those who couldn't walk were being able to walk again. Those who couldn't see, their eyes were being opened. Those who couldn't speak were being able to speak again and shout with joy that God has done a great thing in their lives. But maybe even beyond those kind of miraculous signs and the raising of the dead is the fact that the good news had come. In the face of deserted wastelands of lives who felt there was no hope, that there was no place for peace and no place for joy, God comes and says, guess what? You are not forgotten. You are loved. I am with you. And I've come to rescue you and save you and bring life into your your world. Think about what Jesus also said elsewhere. After all, Isaiah reminds us of this this way of righteousness that God's people would walk, that would bring joy to their lives. And Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Or or how about the the, the promises of, of flowing water in the midst of the desert? As Jesus said, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Or how about Jesus' promise for people in the midst of their desert today to be reminded, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Jesus is exactly who he has promised to be. And no matter what Desert you're walking through today, may you see the life and may you see the joy. May you see what God is doing in the midst of this time. He has come near. Come, Lord Jesus, bring us joy. And he does. In Jesus' name, amen.